Hi, I'm Juliette Bennett Ryla in Los Angeles, and you're listening to No Placinium, the voice of everything immersive. Hey gang, welcome to episode 103 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles, aka our kitchen table. This week on the show, we've got Jason Carl, CEO of By Night Studios. Those are the folks who make the Mind's Eye Theater games. That's the LARPs, the live-action role-playing for both Vampire the Masquerade and Werewolf the Apocalypse and other things. Jason's also a consultant at White Wolf, the makers of the original versions of those games. Look, we're about to get really, really nerdy in my most nerdiest way that isn't Star Wars or Batman. We're talking about the World of Darkness. We're talking about LARPs. This is... Is a day, well, a night really, that has been long in the making. And we have a really excellent conversation about how there's this massive crossover between immersive theater and live action role playing. And we talk about consent and safety and all sorts of important things that are really, really valuable to the immersive community. Um, these are issues that only now are are we starting to kind of feel our way through. And the great thing about this is that uh, there's years of experience right next door over in the LARP world. So, but first, before we get to that, got a, got a couple of things for you. Starting with a word from our sponsor. Our sponsor, as always, is Patreon. That means it's you, our Patreon backers. This show, the newsletters, and nopersinium.com all exist thanks to the generous support of listeners like you and listeners, especially like Ross Sigworth. Now, Ross has been a long-term backer of the show, but this week he did something completely unexpected and uh, I'm flattered. And I actually like wrote Ross and said, are you sure it was, was this an accident? Because Ross upped his pledge to the highest tier we have. Now, that means you're going to hear Ross's name every week on the show, so long as he's still doing that sustaining membership. Uh, The name of the tier, and I will look this up for you because I really should have prepared this, but I didn't. Uh, Because, of course, I prepare absolutely nothing on this show whatsoever. Um, The name of this tier is very, very, oh, God, I hope it's humble. Very, very humbly called um, friend of the show. See, friend of the show. Friend of the show is the name of the tier. And one of the things it gets you is it gets you your name on the show every week because you are a friend of the show. Because you're coming in at a level that really, really, like, no, no human being should. Only gods. Um, and <laughs> I did not plan that. Uh, Ross, thank you so much. There are just three more friend of the show tiers left. All right. So if you're thinking about being a superhero to no proscenium, uh, if this provides you with meaning in your life, the way it provides me meaning in my life, um, 
think about the friend of the show tier. Or, you know, if if you're not able to come in at that amazing level, we've got other levels. We've got the Schemer, which is uh, coming in at $10 a month. Um, we've got the Immersinat at $5 or more not. And, and, and I've got some some fun stuff going on there. And yes, I know I overwent virtual office hours, but I've been like dead. Uh, so we'll do that soon. And then, you know, just the listener, if you're a listener of the show and you like what we do and you say, you know what, these, these folks, they could use a hand. Uh, that's just a dollar a month. We are at $256 out of our $300 goal, which is gas money for the team, because I want to make sure that the people who write for us and who do things for us, like Juliet, who you heard at the top of the show, uh, that they, um, that they, they don't have to pay out of their own pocket to, you know, get to and from these chores we send them on for you. Because let me tell you, you, you don't want to, you may have FOMO. You may, you may think you want to go see absolutely everything, but as someone who, who goes out there and sees 90% of everything, trust me, you don't, you don't want to do that to yourself. Um, it's, it's, it's a weird, sad life. Um, that's not true. No, it's, it's, it, it, sometimes it's true. Um, anyway, somehow I turned that into, into a bad thing because I'm me. I can turn anything into a bad thing and not, not, not even a good, bad thing. Like for a second there, the voice was going to like the fun and it's not, this is starting to get like the old show. Let's not do that. In fact, um, here, uh, someone gave me this, this ought to work. Okay, uh, I'm I'm not in, I'm not enti- entirely sure what that was. Someone just sent that to me by Carrier Pigeon. Um, but if you go onto Instagram and look for the Boanthropic, or if that's too hard, go onto Instagram and look for a no underscore proscenium. That's our Instagram. We've reposted a couple of things from the Boanthropic, and and I think that's involved somehow. All right, now for an entirely less mysterious piece of audio, or is it? We've got our man in New York City, Zay Amsbury, who has checked out Ghostlight. Take it away, Zay. Hello, this is Zay Amsbury reporting for No Proscenium in New York City about Third Rail Project's new piece, Ghostlight, at the Claretoe Theater in Lincoln Center, or at Lincoln Center. So, the greatest trick that Third Rail Project's ever pulled off was convincing the New York theater public that they were a theater company when... At their heart, they're an experimental dance company. And the way they approach playing in a genuine theater for the first time is a wonder to behold. And without giving away any 
spoilers, I will say that there is only one moment in the entire piece when the whole audience comes together and sits in the seats in the theater. And that moment is a wonderful and fascinating and transformative moment. I think if you were to reflect on the idea of the ghost light and when the ghost light goes on and what is happening in a theater when the ghost light goes on, then you would begin to get a sense for the context of this piece. If the... If then she fell builds its context out of the ripped out pages of Charles Dodson's diary in the wake of being forbidden from hanging out with the Lydell family, then this piece builds its context from a theater that is perhaps empty with the ghost light on at night. One thing to think about if you have seen other Third Rail projects and you go to see this piece is that they are dealing with a larger audience than they've ever dealt with before. I don't, I mean, it must be around, I don't know, a hundred-ish people, however many people, however many seats are in the Clairetau. I don't know if it's 99 or more, but it is a legit theater-sized audience. Um, Grand Paradise was only 60 and of course, then she fell is 15. And because of this, you do not get, or at least on the track I was on, and from what I understand on most tracks, you simply don't get the kind of one-on-one -on -one intimacy that you have gotten with previous New York Third Rail Projects productions. And yet, for me, it doesn't lose anything in that because of the way they're dealing with space and because of the depth to which they're investigating the themes of theater. What is an empty theater space? What is an empty theater space that has all of these memories of productions going on in it? And what happens during a production when you're not on stage, when you're in the wings, when you're in the fly space, when you're looking at the production from the side or from the back or from the quiet moments, or when you are with someone stuffing programs, and certainly anyone who's been involved in theater knows what that's like. In a sense, it almost feels like in this production, Third Rail Projects has invaded the memory of theater or... Um, uh, invoked the ghost of theater and used that as a medium to tell stories about the relationship between performer and role, between performer and performance, between audience and performer, between audience and stage, and to look at that. Uh, ghost Light also brings in a bit of a highlight reel from other theatrical productions that deal with metatheatricality. It's got gestures to uh, Pirandello, it's got gestures to Beckett, it's got gestures to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, um, that if you are a theater person will be very, very delightful. This piece also seems like the first piece um, from Third Rail that might really be able to travel. I can imagine this piece being able to put on, be put on in a lot of different theater spaces across the country with an audience that could support the movement. I don't know if I haven't spoken yet with uh, the Third Rail Projects folks about this, but 
um, it might be a very exciting prospect for those of you who haven't been able to make it out to see it. Um, I would recommend Ghostlight if you're in the area. Um, and if you travel into town, definitely get tickets now because although it's been extended to August, um, the Clarito is a well-traveled theater and I, I can't imagine they would be able to extend it uh, as long as they've been able to extend other pieces, um, although I don't know the plans on that score yet. So that's Ghostlight. I hope that that was both general and specific enough. Noah, back to you. Thank you, Zay, for that wonderful and indeed let's let's admit spoiler free talk about ghost light and yeah we're really hoping that it travels and when we say that we don't have any special knowledge uh i'm not hiding some secret from you um that we, we we don't know we just hope i i keep on going to theaters around los angeles and going like could it happen here could it happen there um could it happen anywhere uh that's the real question um Let's talk about a couple other things uh, before we get into the main interview, but but not too many. Number one, you are going to want to check out noforsinium.com this week to find everything immersive this week. For this week, it'll be the one dated June 16th, 2017. What a weird thing to say sometimes. Um, you're going to want to check that out. It is not up as I'm recording this. It will exist later. So you might be one of those listeners who gets the show and goes, yes. And then you go onto the website and go, no. So I'd say, you know, check out uh, later in the afternoon on Friday is when you want to look for it this time. There has been a bunch of stuff this week, uh, so much so that I haven't had time to collate everything yet, but it will be there. Um, the episode we're about to hear we talked a bit at the beginning. Jason Carl is the CEO of By Night Studios. He also consults for White Wolf. What that means, you're going to get into in the interview. Just know that I'm my usual giddy self, and uh, it was a, a genuine pleasure to have Jason here at the table. And something that they recently did is, uh, like, just this week, there is now, from White Wolf, who are, like, the the, 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 the people who control the property, Entirely. They've got a corporate structure going on. But uh, White Wolf has now released a new uh, pre-alpha of the the version of Vampire the Masquerade, the tabletop game, which is, they're playtesting right now. You can find that online. Uh, I'll put that up on Everything Immersive in the show notes. It's like a fun bonus for everybody. So look for that there. Uh, there'll be a link to it. And I was skimming those rules this week, and I'm I'm really liking where it's going. And that's the tabletop game. And this is not a tabletop gaming show. This is this is a totally different show. But I will let the nerdery show up for a second. Uh, so far, Noah approved. And on that note. Here we go, Jason Carl of By Night Studios. Chris's music, let's roll. Jason, thank you for coming over to the kitchen table here. <laughs> thank you, Noah, for having me at your kitchen table. It's a lovely kitchen table. It's a pretty it's a pretty good one, actually. One of the best I've seen in Los Angeles, actually. I would I would rate it in the top ten. Oh wow. Oh, I don't know about that. I've seen some pretty good kitchen tables. I just like the fact that it's kind of raw. Um well, it's authentic, and that's important. Yeah. Welcome to Table Talk, everybody. Uh except not tabletop, because we're talking tabletop is 
is a type of role-playing game, but we're going to be talking about live-action role-playing game, which is very much not tabletop. In some ways, often the, the not the antithesis, but maybe the antithesis of, of tabletop. Um, Jason, you are the chief executive officer mm-hmm. of Binite Studios. Uh, for those who are uninitiated uh, and who aren't an old World of Darkness nerd like myself, because uh, I'm going to try really hard to walk the audience through this and not in within the next five minutes start talking about uh, the relationship between, oh, I don't know, uh, the Malkavians and the Daughters of Cacophony or something like that. So like we're going to avoid... <laughs> that's, a, that's a different show, I think. Yeah, that's a very different show. Um, we can do that show. I, we could do that show, I'm betting. But I think we'd lose everyone uh, who normally listens to this podcast. Yeah. Um, five people just checked out. But that being said... What is Binite Studios for the uninitiated? Mm-hmm. Binite Studios is a company uh, that is a licensee of White Wolf Entertainment. And we license the World of Darkness story world. And the World of Darkness is a, uh, <clears throat> is a story world in which uh, vampires, werewolves, mages, mummies, demons, and uh, even scarier creatures are uh, inhabiting a world exactly like this one but changed by their existence. The mission of Binite Studios is to produce uh, live-action role-playing game products, and products includes both rule books and setting books and story guides and events. Mm. And we like to think that um, we are the uh, the heir to a long tradition of World of Darkness live-action role-playing game enthusiasm. That started about 25 years ago here in America. Yeah, no, the I remember even before there were formal rules for the masquerade, which was mm-hmm. always the biggest one of the the LARPs. Uh, everyone, people were homebrewing out of the the tabletop books. I mean, our we were running around with uh, six sided dies in those pop-up bubbles that you would get you'd get like a little football helmet we'd throw the football helmet away we put a die in and then like that's how we'd resolve our disputes i think one of the remarkable things about vampire the masquerade which was the the flagship game the first game from from white wolf back in the day was that it automatically by its very format and structure encouraged theatrics at the table Mm -hmm. i know very very few people who played the tabletop game who didn't act out scenes and get very emotionally intense with their role playing at the table we called it larp top (laughs) and it wasn't very long after that that it moved completely away from the table and became a live action role playing uh experience in its own right the tabletop role playing game didn't go away the live action experience existed in parallel with it. Many people did both. Yeah. No, I remember in college, one of my theater, he'd become one of my theater school friends. We met in, in, in astronomy class of all things. And he had, I think the first edition of the, the mm. masquerade rules. Yeah. And he was explaining it to me. And at the time we were using homebrew and I was like, Oh, okay. What, how does this work? <laughs> and, and then we, we wound up adopting those and it was, it, it was, they were always really approachable for people who were scared of numbers or, mm-hmm. or, and just wanted to have the systems get out of the way and let people start acting out their characters and oh, play, sure. make believe with rules. The emphasis was always on story first. Yeah. Mechanics were there, and you could make the mechanics as complicated as you wanted them, of course, but emphasis was always on narrative and character and emotion. And I think that's what, uh, that's what drew 
people who had never tried role-playing games before into role-playing games was that opportunity to tell a story first and worry about numbers second. One of the things that's interesting about that particular form of LARP is it, it really is about the people who run it when, when they're working well. They sort of set up the conditions mm-hmm. for everybody with a scenario. It might be pr- provided by you guys uh, or it might be something you know brewed up inspired by the, mm-hmm. the published materials. And then the players up and, and run with it. And we see some parallels in terms of what people in the immersive theater space yes. are developing in terms of you know, the more interactive pieces of theater often seem very similar to LARPs to me in that the, the the participants are endowed with a character and given a bit of free reign within the context. How how does does what By Night Studios does as a company mm-hmm. relate to that kind of scenario building or is it is it a matter of building the scenarios, publishing things? Um, supporting people who create. Um, yeah, it's it's all of these things. We offer uh, a number of avenues to get involved with World of Darkness live action role playing uh, or LARP. And at the very basic level, we provide all the raw materials that people need to do it themselves. We provide books of rules. Uh, we provide how to guides. We provide scenarios, and we provide uh, connectivity to other people who are interested. And we do that, of course, mostly online. And the people who uh, are drawn to this kind of entertainment take these materials and they create their own avenues for story. Um, A local group might decide, well, we're going to tell a World of Darkness story about werewolves. And they're going to use our uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse live action rules to do it. They'll get, you know, 20, 30, 40 of their friends together, create characters, develop personas. Go out into the woods, take the shirts off. They, they, <laughs> might, they might, in fact, do those things. Uh, or they might just, uh, you know, rent a, rent a space or a fabulous location or do it in their own living room. At the, at the opposite end of the spectrum, we also produce uh, live action role-playing events that are bespoke and, uh, and tailor-made <clears throat> for this audience. Uh, for example, uh, last year we ran the Grand Masquerade, which is uh, a thousand-person gathering of World of Darkness fans in New Orleans. And that's been going on for a fair amount of time now, right? Uh, it happens semi-annually. Yeah. Uh, it's not, it doesn't happen every year. It started in, um, it started in 2010. Oh, that... Was, was there like a, a, a predecessor of it like at some Not point? Not to the Grand Masquerade. That was the first opportunity... Mm. Uh, for World of Darkness fans to gl- gather together as a, as a global event mm. uh, with people from many, many countries. Of course, prior to that, there were fan clubs all over the world running their own story chronicles and their own um, their own conventions yeah. as well. This is the first one that was official and sponsored by the publisher itself. It's so funny because like, back in the day, back in the 90s, um, oh yeah, I'm going there because <laughs> that's, that's, where, that's where it was. That's where we started. It's where we're from. I know. I try to explain to people I'm from the 90s and that explains everything. Do you get a blank? Do you get a blank stare no, no no well some of the millennials some the fun part is when the millennials just seem jealous sure. because they should be um but um and, but then i feel old um there were there were at the time here's danger of derailment um there were there were like one of the hallmarks of the woad back in the day was like the metafictional parts of it so of like course. the white wolf would publish 
uh, supplements. It would advance the story along. And then you had these parallels mm-hmm. in that there was there was an official fan club for the vampire thing. There was the Camarilla. And then there was... Uh, and they seemed to have some metafictional thing going on that was separate, but yes. equal, in, in, in depending on your point of view. And then there was also another fan organization, the I believe it was called One World by Night, yeah. and that was like another group with mm-hmm. their own metafictional and... Course. Part of the part of the the reason for those things existing was that people, much like immersive theater fans right now, like to go from city to city to check out people's work. Mm-hmm. People would take their characters from city to city to drop in, yes. and the idea was that it all matters, right? And mm-hmm. that was always a, a very big thing. We see that also in the ARG space here. Is like yes. people want people want their character to matter. They want to be able to put a thumbprint on this fictional world. I think they want persistent story, yeah, and continuing characters. That's the media we've been consuming since we were children. All our television and many of our favorite films and, and books, of course, are serialized with recurring characters, recurring stories, recurring locations, and, and live action role playing, or even immersive, uh, immersive theater, immersive entertainment can be done in exactly the same way. Both of those groups you mentioned are still in existence. The Camarilla has become the Mind's Eye Society, and One World by Night hasn't changed its name, but they've been joined by dozens of others of clubs doing the same thing. They'll create a, a story environment. Uh, their members will create characters, and they're free to travel from city to city, bring their characters with them, and experience the story in an entirely different location. We just got back from Berlin last week, where we did uh, the World of Darkness Berlin Fan Festival, mm. another official convention, and there were several live-action role-playing games produced there, set in the World of Darkness, and each one of those was a completely unique, immersive experience. It's uh, it's something that started in the '90s. But it's very strong and thriving today too. Hasn't gone away. The the brand sort of was was a little dormant for a while, mm-hmm. uh, and there were in torpor. Oh yeah, in, <laughs> in a deep, deep torpor. See what I did there? Oh, I saw what you did there. I think most of the others would be like, "Yes, that is an actual word." But you, hey, listen, you, like you'll get the resonances. Just you know, I got a few books for you to read. Um, there was there was a. A very large video game publisher bought White Wolf back in the day. CCP, and, yeah. yeah. Crowd Control Productions based out of um, Reykjavik in Iceland bought, uh, actually merged with White Wolf. Yeah. And, and they were always aiming towards the great dream of, a, of an MMO yes. out of Vampire that never never quite went off, got off the ground. Mm-hmm. And during this in, in Terragum, there was um, the, 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 the published line sort of went into a bit of a pause mode. Like there was still there was still some stuff coming out, but not mm-hmm. a lot. At the at the edge of uh, the when the twentieth anniversary for Vampire came up, which was what, two thousand nine, I two, think? Two thousand and eleven. Two thousand eleven. Okay. Two thousand eleven. When that came up, there was a, a publishing effort that started online to start republishing and do, you know, anniversary editions. And that mm-hmm. sort of took on a life of its own. Those yes. are the, the Onyx Path kids. Yeah. Some of which were like they're like veterans from from White Wolf. Some of them are the original White Wolf uh, veterans. Yeah, um, and they do they do terrific work, and they're oh, still amazing. here too. Yeah, and and that that sort of coincided with the rise of Kickstarter and mm-hmm. and Kickstarter's role in paper and board games. Yes. and it's just it's been fascinating to see that explode, and it's been it's been not weird for me, but it's been interesting to see this shift online because so much of my youth in role-playing games was centered around the the store, the physical store. For me, it was sure. Games of Berkeley and Berkeley. Your friendly local game store. Yeah. Right? And, and this shift where it's an online culture, keeping it alive, 
I but I wind up having no sense of like how how big it is anymore because I don't walk into I can't walk into like Barnes and Noble and see the books like I used to right. or walk into a game store or even a game store and see like the full you know World of Darkness line which is actually right now a fairly robust line of books. It but is, it's, but it's difficult to get a sense of the size and activity of the community uh, measuring it against presence in a local retail store. Yeah, and I would argue that that's true for for. More, more role-playing game lines than just the world of darkness. Yeah. Role-playing is undergoing a golden age right now. We've, mm. we've never had it so good. It's never been so big and so globally popular. Uh, but it's very difficult to tell if you're just hanging around the hobby store trying to find people who are playing amongst buying you know, magic cards and board games and things like that. A lot of the activity has shifted online. And even more activity has shifted to the convention base. Yeah. There are now so many... Uh, genre-themed conventions happening annually all over the world that include role-playing games and live-action games as part of their programming, that these activities have found a whole new outlet, whole new venue uh, in that convention system. And there's, and there's, between the United States and Europe, and we talked a little mm-hmm. bit about this before, um, there's, a, there's a flavor distinction to some degree in terms, of, true. In terms of how the, the LARPing goes. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit of that because this the intersection between LARP and immersive entertainment mm-hmm. in Europe it's 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 even blurrier than it is here. It is even blurrier, and I think um, I think you have to go back uh, at least a decade to the rise of something that is popularly called Nordic style LARP or, right. or Nordic LARP. It came out of the Nordic countries, and it was a, an approach to live-action role-playing game that differs significantly from the tradition we're familiar with here in America. Here in America, we tend to um, we tend to LARP with um, a fair number of rules. We like to codify the experience. Um, we feel that gives the a very fair experience for everybody, and yeah. that fairness, so that everybody has equal access to success, is very important to us. As I think, as as uh, as, as a people, yeah. Um, it, that's something that always struck me about right. like, the way we did. It's like there's something so that part is like so. The best part of a, being an American is a sense of, <laughs> a sense of fairness and justice. That you may know, be true. Here's a here's a practical example. Um, if you and I were to play Vampire the Masquerade live action, okay. Live, I mean, yes. Yeah. <laughs> if we were to play it right now, hey, you've got a huge game here in Los Angeles that's just fantastic. There, the Pillars of Salt group. It's huge. It's active. They're marvelous. A great story. But if you you and I, you and I were to play it today, here and now, um, the experience wouldn't be too different from what you remember. Right. We would have a character that we've created, a persona with a history and goals and motivations. And uh, probably some tragic flaws and secrets. And we would, of course... There's a character, of course, forming <laughs> in my head as you do that. It's like really, it's getting bad. It's like, I'm going to go, yeah. oh yeah, okay. So and we would, have, um, we would have statistics. <laughs> we would have numbers on a, on a character sheet mm-hmm. that would tell us how fast we are, how strong we are, how smart we are, whether or not we're good looking, what our powers are. And when we resolve conflicts between other characters or between the environment, we refer to those, those numbers, uh, those statistics. The tradition of, of Nordic-style LARPing pretty much does away with that character sheet. You do have a character, of course. It has a persona. It has a backstory, goals, motivations, uh, emotions, deep, dark, ugly secrets. But the rules themselves, the mechanics that govern conflict, are minimal at best. Mm. And conflict is resolved um, primarily through negotiation. Mm. In addition, what you see is usually what you get. If your character can't lift that 100-pound box, 
If you can't, you the player can't lift it, neither can your character. Right. If you personally cannot scale that wall over there, neither can your character. Now, that presents some challenges when you're dealing with supernatural beings that transcend human boundaries. Right. But in their style of play, um, narrative trumps uh, mechanical conflict. It isn't better, it isn't worse, it's just a different approach. It is arguably more immediate and more personal and more immersive depending on how you define those terms. How how little structure in terms of character uh, can you get away with? Like, what's the minimal viable product that you've seen work in one of these those kind of LARPs? Because I've I've talked to people who've been designing yeah. this sort of stuff, and and everyone sort of has their own take on of it. Of course, and and it depends on what your what your goals are. I don't want to paint a picture for you that suggests that all Nordic style LARPs are are the same. Right. There are as many approaches to it as there are individual authors and individual games, but. To answer your question, the minimal minimum, um, the smallest character sheet I've seen would fit on an index card mm. successfully. Yeah, I think the important thing is setting clear expectations with the participants. Here's what we're going to do together. Here's what you can expect. Here's how we resolve conflict, and here's what to do if you don't feel comfortable. Mm. Once you do that, as long as the participants buy in and commit to that approach. Everybody's going to have a good time. And I think the same is true in, in most immersive mediums. I could literally take what you said about, you know, that minimum sheet and yeah. what, the, what the kind of the social contract of this is sure. and apply that to immersive theater. I was thinking about there's a piece here in L.A. right now called uh, The Johnny Cycle. It's the third part of oh, that. Yeah, I've heard about this. And there's a, there was a moment um, just just by sheer luck I sat in the right space before like the 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 top of act two and got pulled in to play like a significant part mm. uh in in the scene of course you know you're given every line you're supposed to say the, the way the way speakeasy works is like a character will turn to you and say like now say order in the court and then you know it's up to you to like say order right. in the court but what was interesting was that the character approached me and said you know and it, we're all we're all endowed with the character of being johnny that's our point of view that we're we're holding and i just said you know johnny you're angry Right, and so she endowed me with an emotional state and said, "We're going to go do this thing. You're going to go up there and do this. You're angry. You mm -hmm. want revenge." Maybe five lines of dialogue, and that was all I needed to know how I'm supposed to play this scene. Right, you know, and within that, always just coming back to that touchstone. And I've watched people try and design a, 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 a quick convention LARP or a convention ARG or something, and try and endow people with characters and give them like these long backgrounds because like oh I want them to really understand the world and I'm always like no, just give them give them yeah. motivation give them a goal I think the immediacy the immediacy of it depends on brevity yeah and I think you get I think you get better immersive and interactive results in those situations by following the less is more concept mm -hmm. um the difficulty for World of Darkness and for By Night Studios is that most of our customers, most of our participants want that serialized experience. Yeah. They want to continue playing the characters week to week, month to month, year to year. They want to play online yeah. through email and, and forums and other, other, um, other tools. And so um, rules minimalism can break down when you have a long history of narrative. Right. Uh, at, a, at a convention based well, game. Or banking or, powers for 20 oh, years. Sure, <laughs> yeah, right? Which is little. Uh, when we were in Berlin, we, uh, we uh, participated, I was a player in a, uh, 
uh, one night game called Enlightenment in Blood, and it had about two hundred characters. Yeah. Uh, and for those for those of you uh, who are, are World of Darkness fans, uh, they all the characters were uh, vampires from the Anarch movement, and we had just overthrown the Prince of the City. Well, a two hundred player Anarch game. Sure, but that's small compared to some of the events that that By Night Studios manages. The oh, largest events that we do. You know, number around seven, eight hundred people all playing simultaneously. Now, this was a very respectable sized game. Please don't hear that I think it was small. It no, wasn't. No, my, it was exactly I, the right size. I wish everyone could see my face because, like, I think, I think back in the, back in our day, like we hit we hit forty, and mm-hmm. that seemed like too much. Sure. Now, these um, characters weren't minimal. They had about a, maybe a page, a page and a half of of story. Very few rules governing um, conflict, but we knew all went through workshops mm. the day before we played, so we knew exactly how to apply the rules, exactly how to make sure that everybody was consenting to any difficult scenes that were emotionally stressful, how to excuse yourself if you weren't you know, feeling safe and good, how to resolve conflict, and how to keep the action going. To make it even more interesting, we used multiple locations in the city of Berlin, and different groups started in different parts of the city. So the yes. Anarchs might start in uh, the Anarch Bar, which mm-hmm. was an actual a nightclub taken over for the night by the troop. Other groups would start in other locations, and you were free to roam once the activity started. You had to make your way across these neighborhoods in Berlin in character, never breaking the masquerade, which I know you know what that means. Oh, yeah. Never revealing that you are a vampire. Uh, and continuing to interact at all times with everybody else to further the story. The important part, and I think um, I think this is something I admire very much about this style of LARP, is that most of the participants understood that you're going to have a good time if you ha- let if you enable everyone else to have a good time. Yes, that's that's always like for me. That was always the point, and to to, to go back into like the DNA of of White yeah. Wolf's games, you know, it stretches all the way back to Ars Magica, which was this take on wizards. Sure, and that's the the in some ways the father of the world of darkness. Oh yeah, now on the lore level, it definitely is, and and within same people. Yeah, no, on the lore level, the same people, but there was this thing in there about troop style play, and mm. it was this fascinating. You know, theory of 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 the way a role playing troop should work in mm-hmm. that, you know, everyone had their star character uh, in the form of they had a wizard, like a medieval wizard, yeah. and then everyone else also had secondary characters they would play, sure. so that in any given week, the you know someone might be called upon to be the lead, mm-hmm. and everyone else would support them. But the point wasn't about maximizing your powers and lording it over everyone else the the point was always making sure that everyone's having a good time yes and and one nerdy thing i i did back when i was running my second game was i sort of forced everyone to have more than one character and forced them all to like those characters to not support each other they would need to be in some degree of conflict makes sense and always always coming back to this idea that we're entertaining each other that we're trying to give even when things are when the conflict's high, mm-hmm. that the trust is that we can go full bore at each other in character and always like step out afterwards and be like, oh, wow, that was so good. There's a lot of great scholarly work um, coming out right now uh, around um, how to handle difficult emotions that arise from immersive experiences, including live-action role-playing. Some, uh, some experts call it bleed, which is yeah. the confusion between... Uh, persona or character and real person and I think we see that in all across forms of immersive entertainment 
Um, LARP is very much like improvisational theater without a stage. There's no script. And the emotions can get very intense and very real. And how those are managed can sometimes affect whether or not you're having a good time. So it's very, very important that everyone who's involved be willing to help everyone else have yeah. fun and to be careful of each other's fun and to make sure that um, the, the experience isn't more important than the individual. That's beautiful. And, and I'm so glad that that's something that's, that's been inculcated into the, the culture because I, I would remember, because you know, when, we, when we kicked off doing this, we were like, 17, 18, 19, maybe 20, we're like playing with college kids, playing with high school kids sure. the way we did it because that, we were the same set. A lot of theater kids, so like we were all, we were all overly dramatic. Nothing's more dramatic than a 17-year-old, a 19-year-old theater oh, yeah. student. Pretending to be a vampire who's at risk of losing his humanity. Running around UC Berkeley in various oh, degrees angst. of... Yeah, various degrees of, of, of makeup with all the music supporting our of angst course. in full mode. And... And always having to remind everyone, because like, you know, and it all part of the same social set and always coming back to this thing of like, sure. leave, leave the real problems at the door, you know, um, remember that we're, we're having fun with each other. Do not try and act out any, you know, real problems you have mm-hmm. with someone in the troop, like in the, in the, in the context yeah. of it. And, you know, I've seen troops have that kind of issue. I've seen, you know, cause it's, it's, cause it's it, any, oh. any social activity with, you know, humans is going to have that stuff. Absolutely. And something that By Night Studios is trying to do to acknowledge and and address that issue is we're publishing a a brand new book in about a month called um, Mind's Eye Theater Storyteller Immersion Secrets. And it's a collection of essays from people in the community, players and experts about these very topics. We talk about different consent and safety mechanisms um, for LARP. We talk about how to immerse safely, how to play evil and still be nice to each other. Mm. Um, These are topics that we like to encourage um, all of our participants to keep in the forefront of their mind because when we're running running an 800-person live-action role-play experience in a big fancy hotel in New Orleans... Our staff just can't be everywhere. At once. Right, we can't be we can't be watching every single moment, and so uh, the participants, the players, um, need to be able to look after each other, and yeah. they, they need tools and they need guidance to do that. And so that's something that we're hoping to provide for them. I think that's been fantastic because just just having the conversations at all in the first place is so is so important. I think they rarely took place back in the day when this was a a nascent hobby. We were all too excited about it, for one thing, to really um, think about those aspects of it. And we were very young and inexperienced. And I don't think we we understood that um, by relentlessly pursuing your own fun selfishly, you could really hurt somebody else's feelings or or injure their good time. And we didn't know that it could the whole experience could be so much richer, so much sweeter, and we would all feel cooler if we just looked out for each other and made sure that everybody else is having a good time too. Yeah. When I see people do that now, they are in, invariably having a much better time. I always come back to it's funny, I always come back to uh, James Carson's Finite and Infinite Games. <laughs> which I know because of Mage. Yes. Uh, one of one of the White Wolf games. Uh, it was it was in it was in the back of like suggested reading. I think maybe Phil <laughs> Phil put it in <laughs> Phil there. Ricardo, sure. Yeah. And, and that one changed my life. And and this idea of, you know, um, infinite players play in order to continue playing. Mm-hmm. And that was always how I thought of it: is that we're yes. we're 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 keeping this game going, and it's it's not 
it, it, it doesn't mean no good for me to win the moment and for you to want to drop out of the game because then I can't play anymore. Mm-hmm. I want to keep you playing. You know, and there's there's a way in which, you know, in, in mobile games on your cell phone, like there's the dark loops where they want to keep you playing. Yes. This is a this is a positive version of I wanna keep you coming back. I wanna I wanna mm-hmm. maintain the relationship. And some of the most satisfying role playing you know, relationships I've had have been with people who in game are my arch rivals oh, and in reality best, right? are my friends. Uh, those are the absolute best. I think there's it's a it's a hugely satisfying and rich experience. Um, to be able to safely explore unsafe topics. I mean, we're not oh, yeah. we're not really vampires. We're not really werewolves. We're not ghosts. We're not we're not. Well, there's the masquerade. Things. Could we really tell anyone if? We, <clears throat> we, well, we, I don't know. We're, no one can see us. So is it day or know, night? We don't know. My deathly pallor might give me away here, right? He's <laughs> uh, wearing all black. It's true. We aren't those things, but those things are the personas we take on, and they're not nice. Yeah. They're not safe. They're engaged in dreadfully dangerous and unsafe behavior mm-hmm. uh, as these supernatural creatures. And um, in order to in order to explore those those unsafe topics safely, you need guidance and you need the support of the people who are participating with you. It's absolutely vital that everyone come to the table with an understanding of how you're going to handle those issues. This line of thinking, this line of conversation, and the fact that you're publishing uh, for it right now is so vital to some of the development that's being done in the immersive theater scene, particularly as people are playing with the alternate reality games. Mm -hmm. Because as much as LARP and immersive theater have crossover, alternate reality games, particularly ones that factionalize, Mm -hmm. uh, of which there's a few here in Los Angeles and and elsewhere, um, and particularly the ones that aren't you know, being done as a movie promotion, but are they really being either tied to a, a theatrical temples mm-hmm. or being just done for their own sake? Um, it's really easy for people to, for the bleed to come through and people to lose sight of that it's, that it is a game. And I'm, I'm excited that your book is coming out soon and, and that maybe you can get people, you know, grounded in this way and particularly for the designers for them to really think about how they take care of their community how they they can maybe teach their communities how to you know play at full bore but have a have a space to kind of retreat to i think they'll have a i think they'll have a more successful experience to offer a more successful product if you will if they do take the time uh, to consider these aspects of it and you're right it's not limited to live action role playing and um, i think that sometimes we as as authors we as designers we often get um, very very excited about the work that we're doing um, mm-hmm. it's it's not really art it's not really science it's this weird dramatic alchemy uh, and when it when it works it works fantastically well oh yeah can warp a child for life <laughs> look at <laughs> yeah. us you know if that's your if that's your goal that's probably a way to do it uh, i think but i think the techniques i'm talking about can be broadly applied and adjusted for innumerable immersive experiences immersive theater um arg virtual reality um uh, theater theater light experiences like sleep no more which is arguably the foundation of immersive experience here in america yeah let's let's look forward a bit um because i know you're you're ceo by night and Mm -hmm. you're also you're working with the current 
well, I don't want to say that, that that's weird to say. But <laughs> the current iteration of White Wolf, like the White Wolf, is 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 been reborn. It is now its own entity again. Yes. Uh, after you know, uh, just as of a couple of years ago, and in something that's very exciting is that they didn't just launch out and just bring on, just be like, oh, we've got this now. They've really been pulling in a lot of people who've been tending this mm-hmm. this world for a long time. And you're you're one of those. Can you can you talk a bit about? you know, the future of the world of darkness at all? I can speak a little about it. Um, It's no secret, I think, that uh, White Wolf has some very ambitious plans uh, for the world of darkness in the future. um, White Wolf just delivered a a keynote speech at the World of Darkness Berlin Fan Festival. You can find it um, online uh, on YouTube if you want to watch it in its entirety. But they outline their their, uh, ambitions for the future. White Wolf is a, is a licensing company, and so it's working with a number of talented licensees. Um, it's got ambitions to produce licensed video games, mobile games, live action games, uh, board games, trading card games. Um, there's even, I think there's already is some mobile story that's right. apps that yeah, are, there are being there written are two by al- There are two already in the market, that's correct. Yeah. Um, and of course, um, it's such a rich IP that it would be it would be unusual if White Wolf didn't have ambitions for television and film as yeah. well. So it's a whole universe of of um, products that let you experience the world of darkness from many many different angles and many different perspectives. Maybe tabletop role playing games aren't to you t- aren't to your taste, but maybe PC games or mobile games are. Maybe yeah. you don't like board games, but maybe you prefer a television show. And for those who for those who don't know who mm-hmm. who, who miss the heyday. You know, at its height, um, the, that the IP of the world of darkness. It it you know there was a stab at a television show. There, yes. One one often argues that there's a a certain um, B movie series that clearly draws its inspiration from the world of darkness. Uh, the name of which we shall not mention. Uh, <laughs> although there's a there's a famous cat suit wearing actress uh, as part of that, uh, and maybe you can figure that one out there. Um, and just you can look at, I mean, everything from like True Blood oh, to sure. to all these other. It's, a, it, it's seminal. Like it, it influenced the way. It's absolutely seminal. I yeah. think it's it's coincidental that you bring this up because uh, at Berlin again, we watched the world premiere of the World of Darkness documentary, which is an independently produced film chronicling uh, the um, the rise of the original White Wolf Company and bringing the the narrative forward until today. Yeah. It talks about in great detail with you know, some very convincing um, logic about how the world of darkness had um, an enormous impact on the genre of that entertainment today. Mm-hmm. You can look at nearly every supernaturally based genre media and find the world of darkness in it. There is no question that Underworld was incredibly influenced, and the courts agreed yeah. uh, that it was. And uh, I think the same can be said for, for True Blood and um, the Vampire Diaries and the originals and Blade, of course, and not to mention comics and, uh, and other mediums as well. Uh, the world of darkness was, in many ways, um, the jumping-off point for so many of the supernatural entertainment mediums that we enjoy today. Yeah, and the heart of it always was that it was this oddly plausible world, in that so much care was taken to map on mm-hmm. the the cultural forces, whether they be long-standing religious traditions or you know corporate malfeasance. 
onto Pentax. Exactly. Um, onto uh, the fictional world. Yes. To where, you know, part of the fun is being a 19 year old trying to understand the universe was to see those resonances. And when you played the game yourself, you might even like strip away the fictional names of the companies and mm-hmm. just, you know, stick the real names of the companies. And everything that was popular in the 80s and 90s for good or ill seems to be back. It feels like we almost need the world of darkness again to understand our world. Well, w- one of the things that uh, White Wolf is is committed to doing, <clears throat> um, and it's doing it under the guidance of its creative director Martin Erickson, is making sure that the world of darkness is a critical examination of some of the most difficult questions that we face as mm. people today. Uh, in new in new iterations of the world of darkness um, products, vampire, werewolf, mage, you're going to see topics that are very current and very very immediate, and you're going to see through the eyes of your characters how those can affect the world. For example, let's use werewolf the apocalypse, uh, which has always been a game uh, that talked about environmental issues. The werewolves are very very close to the natural world, and their mission is to is to save the world. Gaia, the the world spirit from um, from corruptive forces. Uh, I think you could look around today and argue that those corruptive forces are really taking a toll um, you know, on the planet, depending on your point of view. Yeah. And so Werewolf the Apocalypse is not going to shy away from that reality. In fact, it's going to lean into it. Yeah. And the question of what to do right now about the conditions of the world, about the wealth gap, about famine, about um, climate change are going to be front and center in the game. You're still going to play an awesome, uh, you know, ravenous werewolf that is capable of being a killing machine, but you're also going to be confronted by these very contemporary, very important issues. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, one of the mobile games uh, that White Wolf just released is based on Mage: The Ascension, uh, and it's called Ma- it's called Mage <laughs> Refuge, and the the narrative of the game deals directly with the world refugee crisis. Mm. The protagonist character finds herself um, involved in those situations, both socially and politically. And when she's gifted with the phenomenal power that, that mages get when they, uh, when they find out that they are mages, yeah. she has to make some really difficult choices about what to do with that power in a world that's confronted by these issues. Yeah. There, there's a, the metaphor in mage is that of awakening yes. and you know as much as like everyone goes like oh it's great you can do whatever there's there's this whole aspect of it of you know you you see things as they really are mm-hmm. uh, which is a very zen concept you know um there's there's a line it's either in the Tao or there's a zen line ever desirous one sees the thing desired ever desiring ever desire less one sees things as they are and it's it's this kind of gut punch uh, and Mage definitely, with its with its pluralistic view of the world, uh, from a, and its its game of of points of view and paradigms, mm-hmm. and trying to understand that everyone sees the world through their own lens, has always been my favorite. And in in the height of immersive, uh, when an immersive piece is really going well, and and it's got multiple tracks, and you come out of it, and then you're comparing notes with. A friend, you say, "What did you see?" You start to see this sort of kaleidoscope vision mm-hmm. of the world, and those resonances have been very strong for me. It's a it's a beautiful game, really, and it offers a, a completely unique and interesting way to look at look at the world, to look at existence. 
it is not a game that we at Binary Studios have tackled for it's live action yet. <laughs> it's, it's halfway impossible. I, I reject the notion that it's impossible, but I, I do I do grant that it is an incredible challenge. Yeah. And it's one that we haven't felt ready to take on yet. We've done Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah. Uh, we've just published our Werewolf the Apocalypse live action game. Uh, we just announced, <clears throat> excuse me, a week ago that our next game will be uh, Changeling the Dreaming for mm. live action. Now, we've skipped over Mage. Mage yeah. would traditionally come between Werewolf and, and Changeling. Right. But I think we need a little bit more time before we decide whether or not we're ready to, to try that. Mage, well, you know, to go back to our earlier part of our conversation, you know, Mage would probably be the one that would benefit most from the most Nordic LARP approach, where it's about it's about the philosophy and the drama, you know, and and I, I do going know, from there. I do know of at least one Nordic style Mage game that's happening right now, yeah. and they do a very rules light, very um, consensus and driven and collaborative storytelling. Uh, and when and it works for them, yeah. I mean, it's it's a beautiful representa- representation of Mage, and it's ongoing. Yeah. It's serialized; they play regularly. And the fact that it's like it's based on consensus makes so much sense because like course. that's a thing in Mage is of course consensus reality. I don't, I don't think that's coincidental. No. <laughs> Well, if it wasn't coincidental, it'd be vulgar. But um, bum sorry, nerd, mage wow. nerd humor. I went there. It's imp- my brain is built for those references. Um, Clearly, there's uh, there's something I'll tell you offline. Um, Jason, any anything else? Because like this is the new form, so like we do slightly shorter than sure. we used to. Um, is there anything else that people should be looking forward to? Or, or no, this is the most important thing. Let's say someone's curious, right? Like sure. they've done some immersive. They they maybe they maybe they like. ARGs, or maybe they're even saying like, "Oh, but I just can't handle the way an ARG takes over my life." Right. There's only some way to like lose myself that way, but on a, a serialized but only semi-regular basis. Right? How would people find mm-hmm. the woad larping? Um, well, we live in a golden age of electronic miracles, of course. Um, the you turn to the internet. by the new world order and, <laughs> and, the te- and the technocracy. Yeah, let's not forget right? that. Let's not forget the technocracy. Those guys. All hail the syndicate. Um, the yeah. um, the first place you go, of course, to the internet. You can you can easily go to bynightstudios.com, which is my company's website, and you can find uh, all the information you're going to need uh, to. Um, uh, to get started, and you can you can go as deep or as shallow as you want. Uh, you can start by by acquiring the materials and, and reading them. Or, like many people, you can find a group that's already doing it first. We have a we have a group finder on our website that uh, offers the opportunity to connect with um, with Mind's Eye Theater fans from all over the world. You can find one that's near you. Go talk to them. Find out what they're what they're all about. Uh, let's say that you were here in Los Angeles. There are at least four that I can think of that are, are big, robust, uh, regular experiences uh, that you could participate in. The there are, of course, um, you know, there are of course very different styles of groups that are connected, and they each have a different flavor. And so, it's really important, I think, to do your homework, shop around, and find the one that that fits fits your tastes and fits your lifestyle. Some uh, manage their games so that you can play 24-7 if you want to, both in person and online. Online, of course, is a very different different kind of experience. And some meet once a week, some meet once a month, some gather quarterly. And there are, uh, there are people who like to do it just once a year. They'll come to one of our, our By Night Studios uh, convention events and play in our, in our flagship game, Blood and Betrayal, which has got anywhere from you know, 300 to 500 people playing in it. Uh, in one night simultaneously. So I think that there's a there's a, an experience that will suit pretty much every taste and every level of commitment. 
That's fantastic. And that's I think that's a nice that's a nice lesson for, for everyone in, in, in the immersive community as a whole. Boom. Oh, I should have thrown my chops. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and there's like five of you will know. Anthony's really excited right now. Um, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I suspect this will not be the last time I talk to you oh, wow. uh, over the course of all this. Oh, that'd be great. Thank you, Noah. It was great to be here. Once again, want to thank our guest, Jason Carl of By Night Studios. You can find Jason on Twitter. He is Vampires N Vino, Vampires in Wine. You can also find By Night Studios on Twitter at By Night Studios. Their URL is bynightstudios.com. Some people make it simple, unlike we used to. We used to have all these different things. That's how to find. And, and again, um, just... Just so, so ecstatic that we get to have these conversations. And I'm also, as, as a deep, deep uh, World of Darkness nerd, very happy with how things are going over there in that entire world. And in the conversation Jason ha- and I had afterwards, uh, he probably talked me into like checking out some of the local LA LARPs. So I apologize, LA LARPs. Uh, you, you, you may encounter me soon. Now... Let's uh, let's let's grab our coffee. It's that time of the show that belongs to me, all to me. Now, the good news for those of you who love to hate listen to this part um, is that it's got to be very short because uh, things are busy, and I've been really busy and kind of distant lately, in a strange way, mostly because of Hollywood Fringe. Fringe is keeping me jumping, 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 and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about a few of the things that have been uh, catching our eye at the old Fringe this season. Um, We've got the 2017 diary, which you can find at noproscenium.com. We're keeping it on the front page during the course of Fringe, uh, and we're updating it when we see things. We're, we pretty much closed out our, our, there's like one or two more things coming in that'll hit the diary. I'm still seeing some Fringe shows of friends and whatnot, but um, the we've pretty much closed out the diary portion probably uh, early next week. Uh, we've got it broken up into, there's essentials, there are shows we think are fun. There's some stuff that's what we call workshop worthy, which is like, you know, this, this is, this is going somewhere. Let's put some work on it. Uh, There's a section called pass on it, which uh, we haven't really put anything into pass on it that didn't also belong in miscategorized, which are just things that claim they were immersive that are not. And I'm not going to harp on that note right now, other than to say, just, you know, it's not breaking the fourth wall, people. That's just theater. Don't, don't. Don't do that to me anymore. Um, okay. The things I want to talk to you about this time, uh, there, there are two shows I've caught in the past week that um, are, are maybe giddy for different reasons. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is a sketch comedy show called Drinks with Horrible People. Uh, and that is, uh, it's a sketch show that's been going on for a little while now. I think it started earlier in the year and it pops up at different bars and it's popped up at a speakeasy uh, above uh, a spot on vine for the course of fringe. And I think they got a couple more additions. 
this is this is a well-written show. Uh, there's there was only one sketch that kind of like fell uncomfortably in the like. Is this really? Should this be site specific? And then they like kind of recovered and took it on. But there's kind of only one stumble in the course of you know a nice tight set, uh, which had some incredible writing as part of it. And the best thing is, is the show evolves. The show is not the same every time. So keep an eye on the drinks with horrible people, folks. I think that they've got something uh, special going on with them. And it's a site-specific show, so this is not about immersive, you know, deep engagement here. There's going to be little touches, but it's really about creative uses of the space, just, you know, doing doing stuff in the spot where it belongs. And, you know, that's part of the tent, and it's something that I like going to, so you get to hear about it, and I know a lot of you do as well. The other piece I want to talk to you about, um, which I, I can't but smile and think about, is called Kinsherf's Coat. Now, this is less of a, well, this isn't a play at all. It kind of falls more into the category of a happening. Um, Kinshirf's Coat promises you, well, here's what it says on the tin. Set, music, playbill, but no actual performance. Yes, this is real. So they promise you a set, they promise you music, and they promise you a playbill. And they give you a set, and they give you music, and they give you a playbill. A, A very clever playbill. Uh, that is absurdist uh, in the extreme. And I still haven't finished reading it yet uh, because I almost want to like preserve it for a, a, a day because the experience I got to have is I ran into Brandon Baruch, um, the nearly ubiquitous Brandon Baruch, a lighting designer extraordinaire, uh, a fixture at Fringe for years, uh, who I've known for years, but Brandon and I have never like had like 45 minutes to like sit down and talk. We've never had cause to. Ken Scherf's coat gave us that. And so we had one of those conversations that you have in a theater before a show where you're just you're just bantering back and forth and you're you're telling stories. And as theater people, you're telling theater stories. Meanwhile, there were things happening in the audience. But they weren't like dramatic things. They were just the kind of things that happen during a pre-show. And I, for the life of me, don't know if they happened because they happened or they happened because someone made them happen. And I love that. It's subtle. It's funny. It's free. Kinsherf's coat. Bring a friend, particularly one you haven't had time to catch up with yet. Um... Or if you want to just like have the meditative experience of, of a pre-show, it's there for you at the Fringe. I loved it. It's one of my favorite things at the Fringe in years. And yes, you, I mean, if you're cynical, you could see that as a backhanded compliment, but it is not meant to be so. And I just want to thank the folks at Capital W for shouting it out like uh, about a week before I saw it. So Monica, thanks for being curious about it because I... <laughs> I was delighted by it. All right. Those are the two things right now. I think there might still be some seats left uh, for Sweet Dreams uh, from the the prologue from the gals at Shine On Collective. If there are, you should snatch those up. I also know that Apartment 8 often has no shows, so keep an eye on everything immersive. We haven't talked about Everything Immersive. It keeps growing. Uh, Everything Immersive, of course, is our Facebook group. I almost take it for granted that you know it now. I shouldn't because maybe this is your first time dancing with the show. After all, hopefully some folks who know Jason will listen and be like, what's going on with this thing? Everything Immersive 
is over a thousand members strong. It's just about two months old. It's a Facebook group. It's international and it has become our hub, our water cooler for all things immersive. So whether we're talking about immersive theater, we're talking about giant scale LARPs, or we're talking about virtual reality or site specific dance. You're talking about people looking for tickets for things, doing swaps, asking for recommendations. It's all the good things in a Facebook group and none of the bad because I rule it with an iron fist uh, because we have a wonderful moderating team who keep things tidy. So I make it seem so wrong, but it's not. Order must be maintained. Um, we enjoy your presence there immensely it's like i'm having a breakdown or something uh stressful month stressful month june's always tough for me um because there's so much amazing things going on uh and there's just too much information to process so let's see uh anything else you guys should know about um there's there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff going on a few of which we'll get to talk about soon one thing i wanted to talk about this time but the contracts aren't signed yet so hopefully next week you'll hear about it keep your eyes peeled on everything immersive and on nopercinium.com particularly if you're in los angeles because we've got some big things that are going to emerge hopefully in the next week i just gotta wrangle some people and once those are in place uh you're going to want to hop on board and become part of it that's literally all i can say right now i wish i could direct you to a ticketing site this time next week i hope i can watch me have to wait another week so that's what's going on that's the world from this vantage point soon even 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 more now let's roll the credits music for no Persinium is by the wonderful Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The show is brought to you by Patreon backers like you, and especially our sustaining backward backers, Ross Sigworth. Notice I said sustaining backwardgers. Maybe you want to get your name on there. Go check out no uh, patreon.com slash no persinium. You can find everything we do at nopersinium.com. You can also use uh, click the links at the top of there to get the newsletters, new newsletters coming out soon. That's the most efficient way to keep up with all things immersive all around the country, really, in the regions we support. What else is there? No Persinium's on Twitter, at No Persinium. Uh, we are on Instagram, no underscore Persinium, where, you know, occasionally there's some shenanigans, like that boanthropic thing that's going on right now. No, we are not behind it. We're just helping the people who are. Um, I'm on, I just clicked at you. I'm really sorry about that. I'm on Twitter, at Noah J. Nelson. Um, even though Twitter's... Let's just not talk about Twitter. Let's just not. Um, when the universe ends and we weigh all things out, I think we all know that Twitter will, Twitter's heart will not be lighter than a feather, if you know what I mean. Um, mummy jokes. Um, we got them. We got mummy jokes, people. It's a busy time. You're busy. I'm busy. There's lots to see. There's lots to do. We've got a couple of different interviews that are happening this weekend, and one of them is going to be what we play for you next week. Which one will it be? I don't know yet. So, until then, until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>